sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. <laughs> when Peter, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young, young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. And as Kai joins me on the stage, I just want to say thank you again to Hannah Bunting, who did a most important job that none of you saw this morning. Uh, when I stood here at the beginning of the service, we have a clock here. You can't see it. It's the clock that the preachers <laughs> use to time it. And when I came in this morning, it was 40 minutes late. Uh, but Hannah has just put it right. Otherwise, Kai would be preaching until the afternoon, I think, which is going by the clock that's from here. So thank you to Hannah Munting that we can have lunch on time because she's corrected the clock at the beginning. So I'm just going to pray for Kai now uh, before he shares God's word with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you today especially for your spirit. I pray that you will anoint Kai with the power of your spirit that he may bring your living word to us. We pray that our hearts will be opened by your spirit to hear what it is that you wish to say to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, lovely people. And, well, it's lovely to be back with you. And I say to be back with you because most of you probably haven't missed me, but I've been in the house for the last 10 days or so. So it feels very unusual being out amongst three-dimensional people and things like that. And it's one of those things that goes to show how much you really do miss people, how much you miss being around people, and how much we miss things like the church 
And on a day like today, where we really celebrate the gift of the church, I feel doubly blessed that I'm actually able to be here today. So it really is such a pleasure to be with you all on this absolutely gorgeous day. This day when we remember and we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Now, I'm going to say right here, right now, a statement most of you know already to be true. And that is, I am not a psychologist. I am married to a psychologist who's also a vicar, but I am not a psychologist. Liz did an undergraduate degree, a master's degree, and a PhD to call herself a psychologist. Then she went on and did another couple of degrees in theology. I did do a degree in theology, hence why I'm here. However, my first degree was in leisure and tourism management. So I'm not really qualified to talk about things psychological. I can tell you quite a lot about the value of the tourism industry to Arborstwyth, and I can bore you about the various leisure centres of the UK. But if you're not interested in that, well, we ain't got much to talk about. But psychology, Liz is the expert on. However, I don't think you need to be a psychologist to understand what we know as the gift conundrum. And that is, if you were to walk into a room and see two gifts, one very big and one quite small, which one people's eyes would be drawn to? Which one people would want to open? Children naturally tend to go to the big one first, and adults like to go to it too. Some of the more discerning ladies among us know that they might be something nice and shiny in the little one, but our eyes first are drawn to the big one. We naturally go for big gifts, big presents, and big things in general. It's one of the reasons why things like all-you-can-eat deals are massive in the world. We like scale, and we're obsessed with big things. And that's actually quite true even in the church. We're in the kind of time of the year where churches up and down the land submit their returns to their diocese to tell them about church attendance. And it'll be no surprise to you to know that, generally speaking, church attendance is bigger on the real red-letter days. Christmas does very well. People really like to come out for Christmas. Christmas, we tend to get very big numbers of people coming to church, both those who are established Christians, those who are exploring, and even those who have no interest in things spiritual. Easter as well, we tend to get a lot of people coming to church. People are drawn to church on the big occasions, the big events, and the big things that are in the church calendar. With all due respect to some events that, ha other events that happen, and some even this week, for example, the Feast of the Visitation of Mary, people aren't really interested in. We are interested in the big stuff. We like the big stuff, the big events. And part of that is Pentecost. Today is a big event in the church. It doesn't have the glamour of Christmas. It doesn't have the fame of Easter. But for us in the church, and those who know about what Pentecost means, today is 
a huge day. Hannah B. has told us already about how by tradition we celebrate the birth of the church today. If it wasn't for the Feast of Pentecost and the events that Hannah Wilkinson read to us, we wouldn't be here today. Today is a big deal. But then the story of Pentecost itself is a pretty big deal as well. If we think of the sheer scale of the events that were happening on that day, it's hard to find many other examples of that level of scale in the Bible. Perhaps the Exodus in the Old Testament, the feeding of the 5,000, and the events of Good Friday for the sheer numbers of people involved. But Pentecost was big. It happened in a jam-packed city full of people from all over the world. 3,000 people baptized in a single day. This, boys and girls, is big stuff. This is a world-changing event. This day literally changed absolutely everything for the world. And it is quite right that we absolutely and fundamentally celebrate it each and every year. Though every time we come together, we need to feel God's Holy Spirit fall upon us, it is right to mark the day when the Spirit fell afresh on all of God's people. Scale and size are things that we like. And big moves of God are things that we absolutely yearn for. Since the day of Pentecost up until today, we've almost wanted other Pentecosts to happen. We've wanted big things to happen. Big moves of God in the land. Incredible events where the Spirit falls upon thousands upon thousands of people. Revivals happening throughout the world. We want to see God move, and we want to see God move spectacularly, just as he did on that day. And in the history of the church, there have been many occasions when that has happened. We have seen revivals. We have seen big, charismatic events. We have seen phenomena that can't be explained by anything else other than God's spirit moving. But largely... We don't see these things happening. Now, I don't think I speak for myself when I say that I want to see a massive move of God happen in our land. I want to see the Lord move dramatically in Aberystwyth. I want to see the Lord move dramatically in the nation of Wales. I want to see revivals like we have seen before and I want to see the events of Pentecost replicated up and down the land. I want to see the events that we read about in the Bible today come alive to each and every one of us. How then do we go about it? Well, there is so much that we can learn from the events of Pentecost and the events leading up to Pentecost that really help us to be informed about what it is that we need to do. When we think about the disciples, and we go back 10 days to Ascension Day, and Jesus telling them to go to Jerusalem and wait, we can ask, what did they do 
in those 10 days? And the answer is one of the most simplest of all. For 10 days, they prayed. They prayed. If we want to see God move in a spectacular way, we need to pray. And we need to pray intensely for something like that to happen. We need to pray deliberately. And we need to be not scared to come together and pray. Not just Pentecost, but every single dramatic move of God that we've seen in the last 2,000 years, prayer has been absolutely at the centre of it all. Here in Wales, when we think about revival, the last time Wales was in the midst of revival was in 1904-1905. And sometimes the story is told to us that this just happened. But actually, in the years prior, people came together and interceded for a revival in the land. A number of people from Wales went to the Keswick Convention in England and came back and formed their own convention where they committed to praying that God would move. Up and down the land, prayerful groups of people came together to pray that a revival would happen. And so many people thought they were nuts for doing so. You know, at that time, the spirituality in Wales, church attendance in Wales, was probably the same as it is today. Nobody in their right minds thought that a revival could take place. But as the people came together to pray, as the people came to ask of the Lord that he would move dramatically in the land, it felt like it came from nowhere. Those years later, thousands upon thousands of people came to faith. God's spirit moved in churches and chapels throughout the nation. People came to know and love the name of the Lord. Have their lives changed, communities changed. And it started with a simple act of prayer. Coming together and praying we don't pray enough. I'm just going to say that. I don't pray enough. And I don't know what your excuses are, but here are my excuses. It takes time out of the day. Getting the energy to come together with people, especially to do it, is just knackering. Sometimes after I've prayed, I feel tired. I've got so many other commitments to do with family, with work, even being a vicar, that praying sometimes feels like and indulgence. Coming together to pray is hard. And if you feel the same way, believe me, I am with you. You might have other things you want to chuck in that mix as well. Some people naturally pray, and some people have a natural spirit for prayer. I don't believe I'm one of them. But for many of us, prayer can feel hard, and it can feel like a massive, massive sacrifice but here's the thing about it it works it absolutely works and time and time again throughout the history of the church starting with the day of Pentecost we see prayer working the direct result of prayer is God moving in powerful and spectacular ways but we are such numpties we forget about it prayer truly 
absolutely works. And I remember this really being brought home to me a number of years ago when I was quite a new vicar. I was in a clergy chapter meeting, which is when a number of clergy in the area come together. And we were all talking about diocesan strategy, this diocesan strategy, that. We all had paper to read and were asked for our opinions and going forward. And there was this wonderful old retired cleric, now in his 90s, who was at that meeting and said, you just want to put that down and get on your knees and pray, because that's where the answers really are. Sometimes we try to do so many other things to look for the answers, when the answer lies on our knees. The answer lies in prayer. The answers lie in the Lord. And all those other things are useful tools, don't get me wrong, but praying is where it all begins. And that is the first call of us as disciples. And that is the first thing that we need to do if we want to see events of Pentecost be replicated. We need to pray. What did those disciples do for 10 days? They prayed. What were they doing when the Holy Spirit fell in Jerusalem? They were praying. We need to reclaim and take seriously prayer. And in fact, if we don't, we're screwed. If we don't, the Church of Christ will keep declining and declining and declining. If we really want to see God move powerfully, then it's up to us to pray and follow the example of those disciples in what they did. But here's the problem with prayer. The problem with prayer is we ain't in control. We pray to the Lord and the Lord hears us. And the Lord answers in his way. The Lord does so in his timing. What's the next thing that we need to learn if we want to see dramatic moves of God? It's up to God. And it's up to his timing. When we think about the events of Pentecost, we might question, why did the Lord wait 10 days? Why did God wait 10 days to pour out his spirit? Why didn't Jesus, when he ascended up to heaven, say to his disciples, get yourself to Jerusalem, it's going to be a lovely treat for you. He didn't even give a time on when this thing was going to happen. He just told them to go to Jerusalem, and they were faithful in that. The spirit could have fallen two days later, three days later, ten years later, whenever it was. But the Lord's timing was that it would fall on this day on the Feast of Pentecost. And when we look at the reasons why, it feels quite obvious. Thousands upon thousands of people were in the city, people of different races and different languages. All these people gathered in the city, all there to bear witness to what was happening. The power of Pentecost was down to the Spirit falling, and then the people who were being there receiving it. If the people of different races and languages weren't there, then the apostles wouldn't have spoken in different languages and emphasised how the Spirit works. This was all about God's timing. This was in the Lord's timing. 
And when we look back through the whole of Scripture, we see whenever something happens, it happens in God's timing. The world could have been created, the fall could have happened, and three days later, Jesus could have come to redeem humankind. But he didn't. He did so in his timing, in the right time, in the right place. Pentecost happened at the right time. And when God seeks to move again, it will be at his time, not ours. And our only, our only direction from him in all of this is quite simply to pray, yes, but trust. Trust that he is listening. Trust that he is doing. Trust that he is moving. For 30 or 40 years here in Wales, people have prophesied that another revival would happen. And it's incredible if you go to certain church services and meetings, you can see visitors come in from the US or Korea or somewhere else and say, you can feel there's a revival about to happen in the air. And yet, so far, it hasn't happened. Why? Because the timing perhaps isn't right. God's timing is perfect. And when the Lord moves, the Lord moves in his time. After prayer, one of the hardest things for us to do is trust. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his goodness. Trust in his plans. Trust in his awesomeness. Trust in his timing. And for many of us, that's the hardest thing to do. We all know what it's like to be brokenhearted. We all know what it's like to be let down. We all know what it's like to be hurt and broken. We all know what it's like to be let down by human beings. But God never lets us down. And in him, we need always to trust. And in that trust comes a third thing that we need to do, that we need to have if we want to see a significant move of God to happen. And that is openness. Openness to God's spirit moving upon us. I love the bit in the reading, and Hannah gave a nice little chuckle when she read it, about them lads on the day of Pentecost, who looked at the apostles and thought, they're just three sheets to the wind. I love that, not just because of the reference, which I think is great, but also because it demonstrated that God's spirit only moved over those who were open for God's spirit to move. Those who didn't want to receive or feel God's spirit didn't. And those were very much in that camp Sometimes you can have this image of Pentecost and even this image of God's Holy Spirit of moving over absolutely everybody and nobody having a choice in it all. Almost a terrifying prospect of being completely and utterly taken over and you having no say over it at all. Praying as we will in a second for God's Spirit to move and something funny happening to us. And I know for me, up until about the age of 21, 22, that was my fear. 
I used to go to church and a church quite similar to this. And you'd see people with their hands in the air. You'd see people speaking in tongues. You'd see the occasional story of healings. And I hated it. I could not make any sense of it at all. I found it weird. I found it utterly bizarre. And I wanted nothing to do with it. And it was only when I was prayed for to receive God's spirit that I realized that I had nothing to fear. That actually what I was experiencing was a love I'd never experienced before. The Lord inside of me. The Lord moving in me. It was akin to falling in love. Explain it in principle and it sounds terrifying. But in practice it feels like the most natural, wonderful thing of all. But it comes only if we are open to it. If we are open to receiving and feeling God's spirit come upon us. If we're not, nothing will happen. We won't feel anything and that's fine. If we feel like we're not ready or it's not something we desire, that's fine. But if we are open, we can feel God's spirit move upon us and then incredible things can happen because that openness helps transform us. It gives us new expectations of the wonderful things God can do. It helps us change our mind on things that previously we were stubborn on. It helps us look for the change that is needed in the church. It helps us to look for the wonderful things that the law can do. And it raises our expectation that yes, even today, God can do, God will do amazing, incredible things. He will pour out the spirit of revival. He will perform miracles where people are healed. He will cast out darkness. He will bring transformation and openness that God truly is in charge. The disciples were completely open on the day of Pentecost for a move of the Spirit. If you'd gone back 50 days or so to, I don't know, Good Friday, perhaps they weren't. But on this day, they were. And what a change was brought to them. Peter, who'd done a runner, speaking in front of all these people, seeing 3,000 of them being baptised. Thomas the doubter, going off as far as India to spread the gospel. All the disciples willing to put their lives on the line for the sake of telling people the good news. Many of them, later on martyred, killed for their faith. People don't do that kind of thing unless something dramatic has happened to them. And the dramatic thing that happened to them was God's spirit moving upon them. Those disciples bore witness to people coming to faith, to miracles, and so much more. The power, the love, the move of God upon them. Big, bold, dramatic moves of God. And here's the good news. We can experience those same things today. And that is why celebrating Pentecost is so important. And I really believe that today, 
the Lord is challenging us as a church. The Lord is challenging us as a church to take seriously these big things, to take seriously Pentecost, to take seriously what it is to see a powerful move of God. And I want to challenge us all to pray more. I want to challenge us to come together in groups to pray more, in life groups and our prayer groups on a Thursday evening and a Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. Come together and pray more and pray for revival. Pray that we would see big things. Don't accept declining in church numbers as a fact. Accept that God can do so much more. Pray for Aberystwyth, the people who come to faith. Pray for Wales. Pray for the nations. Pray that we would see a powerful thing happening. As we do so, trust in the Lord that it will happen in his timing. But be open as well. Be open to what the Lord is seeking to do. If our hearts are stubborn, very little can happen. But if our hearts can open, the possibilities with God are endless. We thank the Lord for Pentecost today. We thank the Lord for his spirit. We thank the Lord for his church. And we pray that the Lord would truly move. And I'm just going to finish now by praying for us and praying that we would be filled with God's spirit this day as well. And just to say, certainly after I've prayed, our prayer ministry team are going to be praying a little later on as well. If you'd like to receive prayer and perhaps experience God's spirit, they are happy to pray for you in all of that as well. But I'm going to pray now and then we're going to keep on worshiping the Lord. So let's pray.